Good morning, church. Good morning, so glad to see all of you here in Williton Auditorium and not on the outside where was what happened this morning was just total drama-rama. Those of us who are joining online in the online campus, hello and welcome to you as well. Uh, good that you're able to catch this even though we didn't happen um, live streaming uh, at the usual time, but you're able to watch this. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Total drama-rama this morning um, with the power being down in this area of, the, of town, and then we didn't have any aircon, we didn't have any lights, so we decided to quickly pivot in 15 minutes. 8.15, we realized power wasn't gonna come back on, so within 15 minutes, the whole team, worship team, staff team, uh, service team, every team came together and we set up shop outside uh, with lots of chairs outside, um, and we just made it happen. So praise the Lord that this morning, we had a wonderful service. And also praise the Lord that we are back here. So what that means though, is that you don't get to hear about Vision Sunday today, but come back next week, we'll talk about Vision Sunday. Instead today we have a special Sunday. Why do I say special? Because today is going to be the shortest sermon I've ever preached on a Sunday. <laughs> Someone say hallelujah. Because <laughs> we're out of here in 20, no. Um, it's gonna be a really fun one. Now, uh, this morning I shared a verse uh, that came to my mind in the moment and I shared it with the morning service and I think is a pretty good way to start this particular service. So you, uh, how many of us have heard about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six? Raise your hands. Uh, that's a good bulk of us, put down your hands. Now within the armor of God, there's one piece of the armor in verse 15 where Paul tells us, and to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And that word readiness, now he doesn't say to have your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. He didn't say that actually. He says to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In other words, the shoes that you're gonna be wearing when you go into the war is not the gospel of peace, but the readiness. And the readiness, uh, the word readiness in English, in, in Greek is the word called hetoi masia. And literally what it translates to is nimbleness, agility, dexterity, quick sharp movements where you're able to pivot quickly. If you've ever played that game in youth camp or in camp called poison ball, it's exactly like that. Someone in the opposite team has a ball in their hand and they're aiming at you and they're ready to throw the ball at you. And you're in the middle of that arena and you're waiting for the ball to come towards you and you don't know where it's gonna go. You don't know if it's gonna go for your teammate on the right or the left, or if it's gonna come for you. So you're ready, you're looking at the person throwing the ball. And when the ball is flying to you, you hope that you have Spider-Man senses in a moment and it slows down and you just duck it. And you just nimble and you're jumping all over the place. Is that picture of nimbleness. And why is that so important as we begin today's service? Because how many of us know that life throws lemons at you? How many of us knows that there are many curved balls that can come at you in any direction? How many of us know that any situation in life can come from the left field and catch you by surprise? You may be looking at the ball right now, but you have no idea if that ball is gonna hit you. Some of us are waiting for a medical report. Some of us are waiting for a job application to come through. Some of us are waiting for reconciliation to hear back from our loved ones, our families, our friends, our colleagues. Some of us are trying to make big decisions in life about your finances, about your relationships. If you have no idea what tomorrow is gonna be like. 
How would you like to have your life fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace? How many of us want to be nimble so that whatever life comes at you with, you can still stand strong on your feet in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and you're not gonna be shaken, you can still face it with joy and the peace and the love of God. How many of us want that this morning? Praise the Lord. Then this message is for you. Today, I wanna start by giving you a simple story. A few months ago, well, maybe like a year ago now, uh, our family, my young family, myself, my wife, Vanessa, and our boy, Jude, were trying to build up a family devotion time. So what we were doing is that every night at eight o'clock at night, worst time of the day to do it after dinner, just before sleeping time for my son, eight to 8.30, we would open up the Bible. We were going through the book of John, passage by passage. Um, We're somewhere towards the end now. And we would just go through the passage and we read it together. We ask each other, what does this teach us about Jesus? We're trying to do devotions, to build devotion as a family. And somewhere along the way, it began to fall apart because we grew tired, because things happened. There were meetings, ministry, sickness that just broke the rhythm. And we couldn't find ourselves doing devotions daily anymore. And it came to the point of time where I was feeling so guilty as A, as a pastor, and B, also as a father, that I wasn't leading my family in doing devotions. And then the Lord spoke to me in that moment and He said, Dan, it's not so much about doing devotions as much as it is about being devoted. You see, you can do devotions every day, but you can still not be devoted to Jesus. But if you were to be devoted to Jesus, it doesn't matter how many devotions you do in that day, your life 24-7 is about Jesus. So today I wanna share with you a simple message called being devoted, being devoted. And I'm gonna turn us to Acts chapter two, verse 42. The Bible says this, they, meaning the early disciples, the first disciples actually, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now the first thing I want you to notice is that even though in the English it says that they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer, it is not that they are devoted to just one thing, which is the apostles' teaching. They were actually devoted to all four things. If you read it in the Greek, in the sentence structure of the Greek, it actually means that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, and they were devoting to prayer, devoted to prayer. So today I wanna unpack these four areas, and what does that mean for us today to be devoted? And the second thing I want you to note is this. The Greek word for devoted here is the word proskaterio, which literally means to be constantly attentive to, to pay attention to. It's not something that you do as much as you are, you, you, you are to be as much as more than it is to do. So being devoted is key here. Paying attention to what God is doing and what He wants us to do is the goal of the game. So turn to the person next to you right now and say, pay attention. Let's do it one more time. Because some of you were not paying attention. Pay attention, say it to the person next to you. All right, very good. All right, so four areas where we wanna be devoted, four areas where we wanna give extra attention to from verse 42. The first one is this, being devoted to Jesus. Devoted to Jesus. Now he says here that they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want you to notice that it doesn't say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. 
Because there were many things that the apostles could be teaching, but there was one thing that they were devoted to above the apostles' teaching. What is that one thing? What is the one singular thing that they devoted themselves to among all of the apostles' teachings? What is it? Could it be the Bible? I thought about that. Could it be the Bible? Maybe they were talking about the whole Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But then I realized that the Bible wasn't invented yet at that point of time. It was put together only hundreds of years later. In fact, the first book of the New Testament, book of Mark, was written only 30 years after this moment. So what were they devoted to? And we get a clue later on, reading that same book, Acts, we see what the apostles were teaching in particular. In Acts 15 verse 35, the Bible says this, but Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord, which is the word of Jesus. So what, was the, what were the apostles teaching in this moment? They were teaching the words of Jesus. And then we read again in Acts 18, verse 25. Now, not talking about Apollos, another apostle among the disciples, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. What were they teaching? They were teaching the words of Jesus, what He taught them, what He said to them. They were teaching about Jesus, how He lived, how He exampled life like for us. They were teaching Jesus. So church, the apostles' teaching in here refers to Jesus more than anything else about His teaching and His way of life. In other words, the early church devoted themselves to Jesus to following what he said and how he lived. You know, you can read from Genesis, the book of Genesis to the very end of the Bible, to maps, you know, Genesis to maps. You can read it every single year. But if you haven't grown in your devotion to Jesus in the word, then I say you haven't grown in the word. The word of God is meant to bring you to the place where you're supposed to grow in your devotion and your love for Jesus. So here's my question for all of us today. This morning when you woke up and you came to church, are you more devoted to Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you more devoted in 2024 than you were in 2023? Are you more devoted to Jesus this time in your life than when you first came to know Jesus? You know, if our answer is I don't know or I I don't think so. Then God is calling us to come back to the place where we need to be devoted to Jesus again. Luke 9 verse 23, Jesus says this. He says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. It is Christ Jesus that we're following. I like what Francis Chan, an American pastor said. He said, intentional discipleship means being deliberate in pursuing a life that reflects both the teachings and the example of Jesus Christ. I know many of us read the Bible today. I know many of us go for extra classes like BSF, like precepts. We study the Bible in our connect groups, even amongst our group of friends, as we're studying the Word of God, are we growing in our devotion to Jesus is a big question. The early Christians devoted themselves, first of all, to Jesus. And the second thing that we find themselves devoted to is community. 
community. The Greek word in this, or the, the English word in Acts chapter two is fellowship. The Greek word is called koinonia. Um, I grew up in Singapore and I grew up in churches that are in Singapore. So um, the way Singapore churches spell fellowship or koinonia is F-O-O-D. <laughs> Food. That's what it is. Every time when someone says, let's go out to fellowship, what they mean is, let's go out to eat. When they say, after Connect Group, at the end of it, we're going to have a time of fellowship. What they mean is, let's start eating. Let's go for refreshments. And it'll go on forever and ever. Amen. When we say fellowship, sometimes in my tradition, we mean food. But that's not what the Bible actually talks about. It's more than food. Koinonia in the Greek, it literally means community. It means intimacy with someone else, with other people. It means sharing. What is mine is yours. No, what is mine is mine. And what is yours is mine. None of that. But what is mine is yours. And what is yours is mine. It also means joint participation. We're gonna do life and do things together. That's what it means. Look at what it says in Acts 2, verse 45, 44 to 45. Look at how the Bible paints for us what fellowship looks like for these believers. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Let's pause right here. What that means is that literally there were no gates, no fences, no front doors to everyone else in the community. My house is your house, treat it as yours. That fresh milk in my fridge, help yourself to it whenever you need to. The toys in your house, when my child needs it, I'm gonna go and borrow it because what is yours is also mine. Everything was in common, was shared in common. There is no, I own this, you own that. You gotta ask me permission. I've gotta ask you permission. Everything is shared. Everything was held in common. And more than that, the Bible goes on to say, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They loved each other so much that whenever you're in need, I will sell what I've got to give to your need. That's the level of love and community and koinonia that they had. So church, this is what fellowship looks like. It looks like community. Or if I break it down into two words, community means it looks like common unity. It looks like everything is held in common. We've got all things in common and we also have unity amongst ourselves. That's what it means to have community. Why does it happen that way for the believers? It's because it comes from the conviction, the basic belief that we are so joined by the hip that if something happens to you, it, happens, it might as well happen to me. If something wonderful happens to me, it has also happened to you. We are so joined that if anything happens, we both share in it. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, that if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. You've got a bad medical report. I'm just as worried as you are. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna commit to fasting and praying for you. You're going through a really tough time in your marriage right now. I'm gonna drop everything I I'm doing right now to be with you and meet your needs. Because you suffer, I suffer. And the Bible goes on to say, if one part of the body is honored, bless that part of the body, then every other part of the body rejoices with it. 
You did really well in your job. You got promoted. You got a 50% increase in your salary. I'm not jealous. I celebrate with you. You've had that child that you've always wanted. And even though I'm still praying to have a baby of my own, but you're having that child, I celebrate with you. That's what it means for all of us to be so joint that we suffer and we rejoice together. That's the community of Jesus. That's what community looks like. But let's be honest. How many of us know that kind of community is really, really hard? Amen. It's hard to be generous to people who can't give back to you. Dude, you've been taking my milk every day from my fridge, but you've never replaced it. Why? Don't you know my child likes cereal? You've been drinking my milk. Dude, you've been borrowing my bicycle for five months now. You said you'll borrow it for five days. You haven't returned it. How many of us know it's difficult to be generous to people who can't give back to you? How many of us know it's also difficult to be in community with people who are different from you? You like KFC? I like the keto diet. We can't join together. I love my Nando's chicken. I love my meats. You are a vegetarian. We cannot be together. I cannot date you on that basis. No, it's really difficult for us to be in community when people are so different from us. We know that. And it's hard to also make time. It's also hard to, to make time for people when, they has, when there's so many things going on. You've guys got babies, you've guys got jobs, you've got last minute decisions, you've got things that you got to tend to. How do you make time to come together, not just for church, but even for connect group? It's really hard. How many of us know that? Here's what I'd like you to do. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, it's hard to fellowship with you. <laughs> say it, say it like you mean it. <laughs> Unless, of course, if it's your spouse, all right? If it's your spouse sitting next to you, say, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. I meant it for the person next to me on the other side, not you, not you. Now, it's really hard to be in fellowship with, even, with, with everyone. And here's what I want to say. Even though it's hard, I'm so proud of Faith Community Church because we have the majority of our church meeting every week or every other week in connect groups in the midweek nights. Do you know we have almost a thousand people in Faith Community Church in connect groups, meeting every week, making community happen, even though it's so hard. Here's what I'm more proud of. I'm more proud of our connect group leaders who make it a point to bring community to the church and to the people in the church. They are the ones that not only get into community, but they bring people into the community. Come on, let's give a big hand to our connect group leaders. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And for those of us who are not part of a connect group and you wanna get connected, it's really, really important. We always say this in FCC, you don't really feel like you're part of the family until you're part of a connect group, all right? And in this season, I would say get connected to a connect group. When you head out here to make a left turn to the connect lounge, as Pastor Amos said, and tell our volunteers and our team in there, I wanna get connected in a connect group and they will help you out. And here's the reason why you wanna do so starting from today. Because in the next five weeks, we're gonna start this book study, this video studies only available to those of us who are in connect group. This book is gonna be given out only to people who are gonna show up in the connect groups. No other way can you get this material, 
all right? And this is gonna accompany the coming Sunday's preaching. So it's gonna be A and B together. So if you wanna have the whole experience of our upcoming series, you wanna be connected to a connect group. So make it a point today to go to our team and say, I wanna get connected and we'll help you do so this week. All right. So they were devoted to Jesus. They were devoted to community. The third thing is this, they were devoted to the gospel. And you say, hang on, Pastor Dan. Acts chapter two, verse 42 says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. What's that got to do with the gospel? We celebrated Christmas about two months ago, 25th of December. And did you know 2.4 billion people in the world, all around the world celebrate Christmas? Do you know billions of dollars are poured all around the world in the economies of the world in order to celebrate Christmas, not only in churches, but even on the streets and in the malls. Uh, despite all the celebration and the, the festivities of Christmas, did you know that our Lord Jesus Christ, never once in the Bible did He say, you got to remember my birthday? Did you realize that? Never once, not even once. Yet we make it a big deal every year. The only time in, in Jesus' life when He tells us to commemorate Him is not His birthday, but His death. Did you realize that? Let me show you what I mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 26, the apostle Paul wrote about what Jesus said when he was still alive. So Paul says this, for I received from the Lord Jesus what I also passed on to you. And this is what the Lord did. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, a few hours before he went on the cross to die for our sins, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. That's what he said. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord Jesus says to remember me in my death. The one thing that he asks us to do, what happens when we do so? Paul says in verse 26, he continues, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you announce, you profess, you shout out, you live out, you show the world, you demonstrate the Lord's death for you until he comes. So remembering the Lord's death, which is for you, it's what the breaking of bread was meant to symbolize. And what is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross except the good news of Jesus Christ, that He came from heaven to earth to be born as a baby, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died, that we deserve on the cross. He paid this for our sins so that we can come back to our heavenly Father. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, remember me, remember that. Remember the good news, the gospel, what I've done for you. And whenever you do this, remember me and proclaim the gospel. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. We do this every month in FCC, don't we? Every first Sunday of the month, we come together and we take this small little communion cup. We tear off that plastic, which God knows how hard it is to tear off. Sometimes it, it never comes off, right? It's like the devil is trying to stop you from taking communion. Get behind me, Satan. I need to tear off this plastic. And then you finally peel it off and you take the bread and you eat it and you drink the cup. We do it once a month. Did you know the disciples did it every single day? 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, in the English Standard Version, the Bible says this, uh, this about the believers. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They broke bread every single day. What does that mean for us? It means <clears throat> being devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a once a month event. It's an everyday thing. And it also means that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a once in a lifetime decision where someone says from the stage or ask you, do you wanna believe in Jesus Christ? Raise your hands, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. That's not just the gospel, that's part of it. The gospel is also not a, a, a Christian course that you attend when you first became a believer over six, seven weeks, and when you're done, you're done with it. No, the gospel is an everyday reality. It is a reality that broke into our lives the day that you receive Jesus in your life, and it changes, it radically changes how you handle the daily affairs of your life. That's what it did for the believers. That's what it's meant to do for you. It's meant to show, it's meant to be demonstrated, it's meant to be lifted out. So even on a day like this, in the morning, where we had no aircon, where we had no power, we were going to run a service for 900 people in this auditorium, but we still had the joy of the Lord, even though life threw lemons at us. We still had the peace of God. We still celebrated and love on Jesus for who He is and what He's done. We still celebrated Him this morning. We went from first world church to third world church, and in an hour's time, we're now back to a first world church. Yet through it all, Jesus is the same. We still celebrate Him with the same joy and peace. Why? Because this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. My life is set on Jesus. Day by day, I'm living out the good news of Jesus Christ. What does this mean for us? It also means that we live out the gospel in our lives every day. I like how Tim Keller says it. He talks about the gospel this way. The gospel is not just a story to believe. It's a reality to live. Being intentional means aligning our lives with the truth that we profess. You believe in Jesus? You say you do? Then let us show it in our lives. Maybe when you're driving to church today, you're in a rush, you're running late for service, and someone cuts into your lane and breaks, and you slow down, and you're like, I'm late for church. What do you do? How do you respond? What is your immediate emotion? Do you rise up in rage and anger, holy anger, because God, I want to come to church online on time to worship you, and this person is right in my way? Is that how you feel? Or do you say, the Lord bless you? <laughs> Maybe you really need to go to the toilet. That's why you're rushing in front of me. Maybe you're also running late for service. You're another brother or sister, right? Or when you finally come into church and you're about to park and you finally find that spot that you love to park in, and just as you're about to turn in, suddenly the guy in front of you turns on the reverse light and starts to reverse into the parking lot, what do you do? How do you feel? Do you say the Lord bless you because you took that spot because you really needed it and I'm just gonna go on and find another spot? 
It's funny because funny story because I, I shared this in the morning service and someone came up to me in between the service and said, Pastor Dan, I, I, I immediately applied what you told me this morning. So what happened was they lined up for Maccas in between the service. They went to Maccas, I, I presume in Southlands. And then while they were lining up for Maccas, a lady came and cut their line and they needed to come back to prepare for worship. So what did they do? The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. With the joy and with the peace of the Lord, with the goodness of Jesus Christ, they lift out the good news of Jesus. So let's be devoted to Jesus. Let's be devoted to community. Let's be devoted to the gospel and show it in our daily lives. Last thing to be devoted about is prayer. So the, the disciples were devoted to prayer. Did you realize that in the book of Acts, in the NIV, the word pray shows up the same number of times as the word pray showing up in the book of Psalms. Now the Psalms, you must understand, is Israel's prayer book. If there is a book in the Bible that is centered on prayer, it will be the book of Psalms. And there are 150 chapters in Psalms, 28 chapters in Acts. Yet the number of times the word pray shows up in Acts is the same as Psalms, more than any other book in the Bible. Why? It's because the early disciples, the early church were praying, was a praying church. The early believers were praying believers. The early Christians were praying Christians. That's what it means. So what does it mean for us today to be devoted in prayer? I wanna suggest one thing, that we slow down in prayer. Slow down in prayer. Now notice I didn't say to slow down to pray. Because if I say slow down to pray, what I mean is I need to slow down my life and carve out space. I got to take an hour break from my lunch break in order to pray. I got to carve out time intentionally in the morning and in the evening to pray. That's what it means to slow down to pray. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying to, to pray, to slow down in prayer. What that means is I pray in order to slow down and be with Jesus. I pray throughout my day in order to be in deep, intimate, 24-7 communion with my Lord. I let my prayer life dictate the pace of my life. I don't let my, the pace of my life dictate my prayer life. That's what it means. And you find that in the early believers, they slowed down in prayer. They took time to pray. Guess where they learned this from? the Lord Jesus himself. In Mark chapter one, verse 35 to 37, after a long day of ministering to hundreds of people, healing the sick, delivering demons, teaching, after a long day of ministry, the Bible says that very early the next morning, while it was still dark, the sun hasn't gone up yet, <clears throat> Jesus got up from his bed, left the house, and went off to a solitary place, which means he was by himself, where he prayed. He took time to pray, to center his life. And look what happens next. Simon and his companions, the disciples. Now they came looking for Jesus. And when they finally found him, they exclaimed, they said to him, exclaim means they didn't say it gently, means they didn't say it politely. They're like, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. 
You're Mr. Hotshot now. You're Mr. Superstar. Everyone is lining up from Capernaum to Jericho to meet you. They want you to heal their sick, to deliver the demons, to bring their dead back. They want to hear every single word that you have to teach. Everyone is looking for you. Now, in most churches, when people are on fire like that, we will say, I'm going to make it happen. Let's run a conference. Let's build the church. Let's do a few more services. Let's expand to four or five services. Let's get ourselves online because this is the moment. Let's strike while the iron is hot. This is the moment for the church. But what did Jesus do? He slowed down. He prayed. He went to a place where he just prayed. And I love what Dallas Willett said about prayer. He said, prayer is the antidote to the epidemic of hurry. How many of us live lives that are so fast-paced that we cannot even deal with it sometimes? Dallas Willard says, prayer is the answer. And he goes on to say, slow down. Let your communion with God be the anchor that steadies your restless soul. I come back to the same Greek word, hetoi, masia, that readiness, that nimbleness in your soul, in your spirit. How do you get that? Also, to be devoted in prayer. That's, what, that's how you get there. I want to end off by a story and then I'll get the team to come up and then we'll pray and we'll worship. Um, in the Bible, in Acts chapter four, the Bible records what happens, what is the outcome when the early disciples were devoted to Jesus, when they were devoted to community, when they were devoted to the gospel and when they were devoted to prayer. Remember the nimbleness that I talk about when life throws you lemons and curved balls? Here's what happened in Acts chapter four. So the Bible records that there were two main leaders, Peter and John, who just got imprisoned for talking about Jesus. They finally let them out of the prison and then they warned them and they said, you are not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. You can go out and do your stuff, be your merry, go on your merry way, but you are not allowed to talk about Jesus. And then they said, but we cannot help it. We need to talk about Jesus. And then they warned them and they sent them off. They said, you do this again, you're gonna get in trouble. So they went back to the rest of the disciples in that house that they were in and they shared the bad news. We got warned, we got threatened that we cannot do this anymore. So guys, what are we gonna do? And this is how they responded. The Bible says in Acts 4, verse 24, and I'll read 24 first before I read the, the, the one that I'm gonna read after. 24 says this, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to the Lord. Do you see what they did? They came to the Lord in prayer as a response. And then in verse 31, here's what happened at the end of the prayer meeting. It was a very simple, short prayer meeting. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Literally, it was an earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Can you see what happened? When they were devoted to Jesus, when they devoted to community, when they were devoted to the gospel, as they're being devoted to prayer, they grew a steadiness and a steadfastness through the anchor of their souls. They grew a readiness that came from the gospel of peace. They had a hatoi Messiah that came because they were devoted to all these things and it was the rock and the anchor, the firm foundation of their soul. How would you like to have that anchor in your life as well? So church, I leave you with this. To be devoted to Jesus, to be devoted in community, to be devoted in, gospel, in the gospel, to be devoted in prayer. 
And what I wanna do for us today is I know maybe some of us don't feel like we are in that space. I know maybe some of us are, are not even Christians. You never prayed to receive Jesus in your life. You don't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe some of us, you might've been a Christian or you might've been born a Catholic or whatever it might be, but you've, you feel so far away from God. You don't even know if you're considered someone who knows Jesus really. I wanna pray with you. I do not want you to leave this place the same way you came in. I want the Lord to give you a real dose of the good news of Jesus Christ that will anchor your soul, come what may. That when you walk out of here tomorrow, life can throw you lemons, but you know how to make lemonade out of it because Jesus is in your life. So every eyes closed, every head's bowed right now. And if you're in this room and you wanna receive Jesus into your life, you wanna receive the anchor of your soul, the one that the early church and the early Christians had. And God promises to His people who will put their faith in Him. If that's you today, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me and mean what you say. I'm gonna lead you. And as I say those words, I want you to say those words out of your mouth. And we're not gonna let you do this alone. Every other church member in FCC is gonna pray that same prayer with you. And after I pray, I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about the prayer that you made. But if that's you today and you've never received Jesus in your life or you feel so far away and you wanna have Jesus in your life as an anchor for your soul, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. I recognize that I need you. I recognize that you lived for me that you died for me, that on the cross, you gave your life for me so that I can have new life. Church, let's pray this out a little bit louder with our friends. And now I can come to you to receive this new life, to have Jesus as the anchor of my soul. Give me this steadiness that comes from a relationship with Jesus. I accept you now into my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people say amen. Amen, would you give the Lord a big hand?